0: Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you've been listening to this series, then by now you know what not to do. The churches so far have been judged as bad examples for one reason or another. Hopefully today, as Pastor Jim continues in this series, you'll find some encouragement. The church in today's lesson isn't perfect but they have one quality that every church should duplicate. They refuse to accept any other God or praise any other name. They stand firm in their faith. If that sounds like you and your church, then to God be the glory. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Revelations, chapter three, as he continues his message, Jesus's special love for a very strong church. He who has the key of David, He who opens
1: and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now this term, the key of David, is actually from Isaiah chapter 22, written some seven, eight hundred years earlier than Jesus is speaking now, and it refers to the mop, the mop. Now what's the mop? You're like, yeah, that's what I mop my kitchen with all the time. Nope, that's not what it is. Others of you, you know what the mop is? Mothers of preschoolers, right? Jesus is the mother of preschoolers. No, that's not what it means either. Uh, The mop is the master of the palace. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. What is the master of the palace? The master of the palace is the one who controlled access to the palace and to the king. Jesus says, I am the mop. I am the key to heaven. Jesus says, if I open heaven to you nobody can shut you out. So if anybody ever says to you, well, you know what, you know, you're kind of people, you ain't going to heaven, not going to happen. You go, well, you can't shut me out. Only Jesus could shut me out. And he says, and if I close it, nobody can open it. What does that mean? That means if you're in and you want to get out or you think you did some stupid thing that God's going to kick you out, Jesus is like, no, not letting you out. I died for you, you you're in. We're saved not by what we do, but by grace. So here's the reality: you cannot get yourself in. All that you do is not gonna get you in. You say, Well, you just, just said we have to turn our and trust in Jesus, turn to God and trust in Jesus. That's a response to what Jesus has done for you. He did the work, you didn't do it, you're just responding, you're just receiving what is offered to you. But by the same token, you're, you do some people with the hyperactive consciences, and some people have no consciences, but some people have a hyperactive conscience. You do one little thing, and you think, oh, my gosh, he's going to kick me out. Don't you think that the perfect life of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice on the cross, him raising from the dead and sealing with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, if you're taking notes, don't you think that's a little bit stronger than some sin you may commit? I mean, some of you who have kids, do you kick them out of the house every wrong thing that they do? They'd have been gone a long time ago, right? And aren't you thankful God's not like that? So the risen Christ, the crucified king who rose from the dead, has essentially just told us this, I control the eternal destiny of all human beings. I either let them in, or I don't. If they trust in me, I let them in. If they trust in anything else, I don't. Now, I'm curious, when Jesus makes a statement like that, what does that do to your spirit? Does that, like, make your heart, like, right? Does that take your little Grinch heart and make it expand Or are you kind of indifferent? Now, if your faith isn't real, probably not much. Probably not much at all. I hear stuff like that, and I'm thinking like, man, I love you more, and I want to serve you more. Because the reality is, is that true faith is connected to reality. I think a lot of people talk about like, well, I have a few ideas about faith. I'm like, what do you mean you got a few ideas about faith? Right? Faith is not thinking about faith. Faith. faith in a person. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed in. And faith in Jesus makes us more confident in Jesus. It's Christ and Christ alone that holds the key to heaven, or as we'll see, the, the new Jerusalem, he'll call it. So in other words, Jesus lets us in or lets us out, or keeps us out. Jesus is the door to heaven, very popular verse at the Last Supper. Jesus said he's going away. Jesus said, I, you know where I'm going, and you know the way there. And then one guy has a question. He's Thomas. How many of you know who Thomas is? Yeah, how many of you love Thomas? You don't lo- I love Thomas. I love that guy. Do you ever have that kid in your class, like the teacher like, looks at the class and says, did you all understand everything I just said? And everybody nods their head. teacher turns around to the board, and everybody goes... I have an idea what she was talking about. What's he doing? What's he talking about? And then Thomas raises his hand. Excuse me, teacher, I didn't understand that. You can always count on Thomas, or maybe you're like, Thomas, raise your hand. Come on, come on. I love that kid. I mean, I would buy that kid lunch, right, asking the questions. We didn't know what the teacher was talking about. So Jesus says this, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. See, he's looking for, give me some directions. Give me something to put in my phone so my GPS can take me there. And Jesus says to him, I'm the way. The way is a person. It's not a route. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Jim, you are still on point number one. I know. Why? Because Philadelphia is grounded in all the things that Jesus just told us about himself. And that's what made them strong. They were grounded in Jesus, not what they were doing. That takes us to number two, the commendation. And theirs is the longest of all the churches, and in some ways the most confusing. And Jesus says what's good and what he's done and what he will do and in a way, Jesus is kind of so, he seems so excited at points, he, he kind of interrupts himself. Verse 8, he says, I know your works, and that's very common to what he's been saying, I know your works, see I have set before you an open door, you might want to circle that because there's a lot of controversy over what that statement means, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. They think that there's a, it's a small group of people, right? They're not making, seemingly making a big difference, But he says, for you have a little strength, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So, some of the other churches were a lot more, you know, compromising with the community. Come on in. Well, aren't you going to just lay all that Jesus trip on me? No, we're not going to really be like that, you know. Just come on in. We got a lot of events going on, a lot of fun stuff going on. You can, you know, it's a free country club. Come on in. Don't worry about it. You're gonna, you're gonna like it here. But these guys weren't like this, and so it seems to be this pressure to deny Jesus, and they won't. And Jesus is just very excited about this. He's like, This is great, guys. You are you're standing firm. You are letting the Holy Spirit work in you. Now, here's where there's a disagreement. A lot of Bible scholars disagree regarding the term open door. A lot of different views. I'm going to give you the two major ones. All right. One is now classified as the older view. If you've been around the church a long time, you're like, oh no, this is the view I was taught. Well, that's what happens. Okay. And the older view is this. The apostle Paul would refer to opportunities to share the gospel with people as an open door. And so they're saying that Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you an open door, even though you're a small church, to share with the, the gospel with the people in the community, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That makes all the sense in the world. The more common view today is tying it back to verse 7 by saying, that door that Jesus has opened to you, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make sure because you have been faithful That door will always be open to you, and you will always have access to God. That's a door that no one can shut. So, which view is true? All I will say is, I like both of them, so I'm fine with both of them. (laughs) Here, verse 8, Jesus starts with their works. What was their works? Consistent, obedient, despite what appears to be a church that has little strength. Despite that, they seem to have a lack of influence around them in the culture. They're not influencing a lot of people, but they're staying faithful. And Jesus says to them, I'm going to keep you, and the door will be open, or I will open doors for you to speak with other people. That could not be said of some of the other churches. Remember Ephesus? Great teaching all their theological ducks in a row, which was something we want to shoot for as well, but they had left their first love. Not this church. They still loved Jesus, and they still loved one another. They were servants. They were hard workers in the kingdom of God, and they stood strong in what little strength that they had. Do you know that we have people who come to our church and leave and you know what? One of the reasons, I'll talk with them or I'll see them somewhere, something like that. And I said, oh, we miss seeing you. And you know what they'll say to me? Your church, it's not my church, but they'll just say that. Your church is too serious about God. I'm like, thank you. Or I don't really live for God. and I'm Christian, but I don't live for God. Okay, this is going to be good. Can't wait for what's next. <laughs> And I felt guilty when I was listening to you teach the Bible. I like people who just pick verses out to make me feel good. And I will always say, was I mean? And they go, no, you're actually kind of nice. Cut a few jokes, you know, nice. You You always include yourself in that. They go, I just don't like that feeling. I go, well, why don't you just change your behavior? They won't have to live with that guilt. And they're just like, no, I don't think I can do that. This should be a great encouragement to all of us who serve the Lord. By the way, we're all called, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're all called to serve the Lord in some capacity. Again, I even will talk to the people who are watching online. Some of them are unable to get out of the house and they will say, I'm praying for you. They'll drop me a line in your notes and I, and, I, and I sense that quite often. And if you're here and you're thinking about, well, I see people volunteering. I'd like to get involved in volunteering. I just don't know that much about it. Well, you can find out more, and you can, you know, fill out an application. It's more reading than anything else, and you know, just doesn't. It's no obligation to, to do it. But I, I can tell you one thing here: that we don't use the servants to get a task done. The goal here is to use serving to get the Christians done. See, what I mean by that is we want to make you into a servant everywhere you go in life. And I guarantee if you are, you'll get a promotion at work. If you have a mindset of serving others, okay, that is what the workplace is desperately looking for. So when you get that promotion, just remember, we get 10%. (laughs) That's cheap, right? But really, I mean, that, we want to help you to become more of a servant. It's like Jesus is saying to the people here, serve me, and I'll have your back. You do that, and I'll keep my eyes out for you. And the Bible teaches us that our serving in weakness releases the power of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul was having all kinds of issues, and he was just saying, listen, Lord, would you take this away from me? And Jesus and him have a conversation, and he says, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said to me, my grace, Jesus talking, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when you're feeling weak, that's the opportunity for Jesus to actually work in you. When you're like, I can't do this, Jesus. This is beyond me. Jesus is like, okay, now we can get to work. Now we can get to it. When you think you can do it, you know the Christian that's like, I got this? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Jesus is like, well, I'm going to teach that boy a lesson. And then the apostle Paul goes on and says, Therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So when something bad would happen to him or some difficulty would happen to him or some sickness would happen to him, he would say, wow, this is an opportunity for me to witness or get to see the working of God in my life. Incredible attitude. That power enabled the church in Philadelphia to serve the Lord. Jesus says what? You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. To be honest... That is what successful Christian living is in the eyes of the Lord. To keep his word and to not deny his name. Guarding and obeying the gospel and not denying Jesus. But that takes focus. And this church in Philadelphia was very focused on that. It wasn't all about getting people in the door. It wasn't always about fun. It wasn't about being a social club. It was about really being focused on Jesus. Doesn't mean we can't have fun, doesn't mean we can't laugh, but it was focused on Jesus. And that's the most important thing. And what you focus on in life will determine a lot of you know things about your life. I'll give you an example. Years ago, before I went to go work at a church, I had owned a couple businesses and I had three, actually, and I sold two. But one I kept, but I was able to do that from afar. I still have it, actually. But one was, there's just no way I could do it. I mean, if that business wasn't going to kill me and pastoring wasn't going to kill me, definitely the combination was going to kill me, right? So I actually had a lot of offers for that company, mostly from West Coast companies who wanted to come in to the East Coast and wanted immediate exposure And so by buying a company in the New York metro area, I was in the air freight business and they were able to do that. And so when you're selling a company, the people who are prospectively buying it, they get to look at your books. You got to know what you're getting, right? They're kind of looking under the hood. And so every single one of them would have this question, we're not so sure we trust the profit margins. They're just too big. We don't believe that you could have such profit margins. And this is what I said to them. I said, you know, you guys have much bigger companies than I do. And you focus on gross billing, right? The total amount of billing. I focus on profit margins. Now, for you small business owners, let me just give you a bit of advice. It's nice to be able to brag to your friends that your company bills this much, right? But at the end of the day... What do you want to focus on? What's in your pocket at the end of the year, okay? So that's no charge for that advice, right? Because that's what you want to focus on. It's very, very important because you could have a $20 million business, and if you're losing money, you're broke. You could have a million-dollar business operating on a 30% profit. That's $300,000 a year. That's pretty good. You're doing pretty good, and you have all of those headaches that a $20 million business has. So, no charge for that. Why would I say all that? Look at the back of your program, and you'll see some verses at the bottom. Okay? Can you read them right there? For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, the kind of a complex verse, but let's just talk. look at the magnified your word. Here at our church, we have made the decision from day one to focus on the word of God. That has been our focus. We go line by line, verse by verse, not skipping over from here and there and here and there, because we're not trying to... Remember we said last week that the church last week, which was big, was a mile wide and an inch deep. Philadelphia is an inch wide, but a mile deep, and that's what we want to be. So why do we focus on the Word of God? Because the Word of God teaches us about God and teaches us about His character And when trouble hits, you're ready. You're ready. You will stand strong. To me, this explains why there's so many false converts in our churches. Did you know that our churches are full of false converts? Full. People not being told the true gospel. People being told what they want to hear. Why? Because many of our churches are not built around the word of God. And if they're not built around the word of God, they're not built around the character of God. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders when he was leaving them, I did not neglect to teach you the whole counsel of God. And in a sense, we're doing it right now. On Wednesdays, we're in the first book of the Bible. And on Sundays, we're in the last book of the Bible. And so we want to teach everybody the full counsel of God. And why? Why? Because God honors those who honor him. God honors those who honor him. It may not seem like that to you right now. It may not seem like things are are going right. Maybe you're wondering, why isn't God giving me more opportunities? Well, here's a soul-searching question. If he did, what would you do with those opportunities? Have you already begun to discipline your life to live a life that God would want you to live? Or are you waiting for this quote-unquote success? You know, you've got this health and wealth gospel, and and most of God's people aren't too wealthy. Why? I think I have a theory. I can't say it's true, but I think that most people, if they gave them a lot of money, they would self-destruct. They would be too busy managing their money, too busy spending their money, too busy doing all the responsibilities that they have. And what would, what would slide? Their faith would slide. So if you're thinking, well, I really have a dream. or Maybe you're a young person. You know, I want to do this or I want to do that. I would tell you right now, make sure that you have the disciplines in your life of worship, of Bible study, of prayer, of all of those things. And then don't take them out should God bless you. The Philadelphia church was not full of false converts. This church was alive because they kept God's word, and they didn't deny Jesus with their lives. You know, in your work, right? We, we talked about we want to help servants to become servants. Your coworkers really care a lot less about your religion, your views on Jesus, than they do about your work. If you're like, you know, leaving your work on a Wednesday, you know, Wednesday night, you're like, oh, sorry. Can you finish this for me? i got to go to summer suppers, right? <laughs> they' like, "What do you, come on? This, your faith's not real. And I always say this. I said it in the last service, didn't plan to say it, but I want to shortchange you guys. If you're a married guy, you want to really make a difference with the men you work with? Do you know how you do it? The way you talk about your wife. When everybody's complaining about their wives, right? you nip that one. You say, "No. That's not it that's not true. That's not the way it goes. And the truth of the matter is this, and I, I'm going to have to really l- like go through a list of people in this church because I looked at the first service. I won't look at you guys, but I looked at the first service, and as far as I can tell, every single man in this church, including me, has married up. <laughs> right? I, I don't look at any, I don't look at any couple and go like, wow, she's so lucky. <laughs> I never think that. I never think that. All right, more commendation, verse 9. Indeed, some of going to say, behold, look, note, I tell you. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. What's the synagogue of Satan? Well, we saw that in the church at Smyrna, people who were trying to destroy the church of the Messiah. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. What does that mean? Outwardly, they would say that they're Jews. Inwardly, they're not. What is that? False converts. False converts. People going to church all across America. And they live the rest of the week like Jesus didn't even exist. Like God's alive for one hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it is. Some people have five-hour services, whatever. He's alive for that portion of the week, and the rest of the portion of the week, he doesn't even exist. He says, they say they're Jews, and they are not, but lie. Okay, they think they're the people of God, but they're not. They're lying, he says. Indeed, or look... I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know or to learn that I have loved you. What is he saying? Those people who persecute you will come to know that I, God, have a special love for my people. Now, this is, when he says the synagogue of Satan, it's not anti-Semitism because Jesus was Jewish. Also, it says the Bible teaches that followers of Jesus will help God judge the world, and that would be both unbelieving Jews and unbelieving non-Jews or Gentiles. So we come to verse 10, more commendation. And verse 10 is a hugely controversial verse And I got to tell you, sometimes when I come to these verses and I know people like to camp out on them and they like to argue about them, and you can have a big discussion in the cafe after service, I won't, I have to go through it for the Bible geeks and I know I'm going to confuse some people, but that's okay, don't worry about it. I'll I'll give you the, the thing we really need to focus on at some point in time anyway. Because what happens is, is when you get tied up in these discussions, especially in a text like this, you totally miss the joy of the text.
0: Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ, no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there, too, if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kebney, changedbyloveradio.org.